Welcome to the Better Wallet Podcast, a podcast where we talk to everyday people who have changed their lives through managing their money. We talk about their money journeys, the good, the bad, and the ugly. At least once a month, we'll have a new episode where you can learn how to manage your money better. We're going to be simplifying the money-related topics that keep people up at night, including budgeting, paying off debt, investing, and how to build a business. The goal is to make money a less taboo, everyday topic. Now here's your host, Mark Russell. Welcome everyone to the next episode of the Bear Wallet Podcast. As you guys know, the Bear Wallet Podcast is all about helping to demystify the topic of money and helping to share powerful stories from people that truly beat the odds, however that might look like for you, and you know how they went off and found financial success. Today, we have my brother on the line, Sam Dolcine. This is my first time actually like seeing his last name. I always just call him Sam from <laughs> the Black Real Estate Dialogue. We've got Sam on the line. Sam and I have been connected for a while, worked on plenty of different projects together on Instagram, and I wanted to bring him on to the podcast to talk more about real estate and his story. Sam, if you don't know who he is, Sam is, in my opinion, a real estate guru, and he focuses on helping new real estate investors get into the market. Sam, thank you for being on and looking forward to chatting with you today. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on and thanks for everything you do. You know, you've helped me a lot to grow page, grow the brand. So got to give you your flowers too. I appreciate it, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah. We we're just talking before the podcast and we're just like, we've actually never talked over camera before, <laughs> but like, it's like one of those type of things where we've talked so often over the years where you feel like, you know, a person and you never even met them in person. You never met them like over camera, like digitally. Uh, so it was like interesting when, when we first jumped on, but I'm happy to have you on, happy to learn, continue to learn from you in addition to everything else that I've learned from your Instagram page. But, you know, Sam, for anyone who doesn't know who you are, you know, kind of break down like what you do and what you're all about. Definitely. Definitely. Thank you so much for the introduction. Sam Dalsine. I am a real estate investor. I'm also a podcast host, host of the Black Real Estate Dialogue podcast. been going for almost three years now. goal with that is really just to share stories that aren't being shared, just share the stories of Black investors from all over the country. And so, you know, also sell digital products, have some courses and things that can help beginners. Also a husband. I've been married for a little, let's see, your camera the number of months. Nice. Congrats, bro. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, that's pretty much me. Originally from Brooklyn, New York, born and raised, and uh, been out here in LA for about six years now. I think I'm at the six-year mark in a couple of days. I didn't know you're from Brooklyn. Yes, sir. Brooklyn, so you're a Northeast guy. <laughs> you're not yes, an LA sir. guy. I knew it. Yes, I think I might have asked you that question. I think I've asked you the question of like where you live like at least once a quarter because you don't <laughs> strike me as like an LA guy. You strike me as like a New York, Brooklyn guy. So Okay. That helped me to connect the dots. All my good buddies are from Brooklyn and Queens. Shout out to BK in Queens. Awesome. Let's kind of jump into it, man. And as I mentioned, you know, I normally start off with an icebreaker question and I don't prepare my guests for the questions. I wanted to come off the top of the dome. So here it goes. What financial habit changed the game for you? Yeah. So I would say budgeting. So, you know, growing up, like we had what we needed. However, I realized that like, my parents didn't have money management skills. Like it's very apparent. And so when I first started working after college, I'm like, you know, I got to figure out how to budget. So here I was like, 
you know, Hank Teller and Malik and my little checks. And I'm just writing down, all right, I'm spending on this, this. And then one of my friends introduced me to Mint. And this is in 2013. I've been using Mint ever since. So I knew that, you know, if I wanted to have any chance to do anything, I had to start budgeting. You know, it sounds very simple, but I didn't grow up with people who knew how to budget. So I had mm-hmm. to just kind of figure it out. But it's enabled me to be able to do a lot of things and really be okay financially, especially like when I moved out here and I've been working in education for almost a decade. So even more so, you got to manage your money, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I think budgeting was a big thing for me. It changed the game. It changed the game and it translates into everything. So that's what I would say. Totally agree, man. It giving every dollar a job is so key. And I feel that, you know, sometimes when we bring people on to the podcast, I would say most often, most often response to that question is, Hey, like I need to figure out like where my money is going. Cause I think a lot of people know like how much money they make, but they don't know how much money they spend. Most people don't know how much money they spent over the last week, let alone like the last you know, month or year. So it's really key to start budgeting and maintaining a budget because there's a lot of people that built budget. I mean, even including myself back in the day where I built budgets and I didn't maintain them. So not only building, but also maintaining. So it's good to hear. You mentioned Mint. Do you want to break down how Mint might have helped you? Because I personally have only used Mint maybe once and it was okay. But like kind of break down like how Mint, I don't even, they call it Mint.com, the Mint app. How did that help you? Yeah. So I think initially just like being able to categorize expenses and like know what I'm spending on. And I had to toy with it for a very long time because it's like I'm fresh out of school. Like I don't have that many expenses, but let me at least try to organize stuff. And then by the time I moved out on my own and came out to L.A., I still had that same consistency. So I know what I spend or about what I should spend. And obviously, you know, you move out, your expenses increase, but it just gave me like a framework, just a very basic framework to categorize my expenses, to know where my money is going. It's a pretty simple app. You know, it's not necessarily, you know, one of those that has like an abundance of features, but for me, what I needed was just like, all right, here's my income. Here's what I'm spending every month. Here are the categories, like where can I cut back and and things of that nature. So it just really just kept me on track, really kept me on track. And, you know, it just so happened to be the first app I was introduced to. I know there's like a million out there, but that's the one that worked for me at that time and pretty much been using it for the most part since then. Yeah, I hear a lot of great things about Mint. And, you know, when people start using Mint and they become addicted to it, it seems like they continue to use it month after month, which is good. And you're right. I mean, from what I've heard, it really helps to automate the entire process for you. So that's really good to hear. Let's kind of jump into your story, man. So I know you lived in Brooklyn. Is that where you were born? Yeah, born and raised in Brooklyn, man. Yeah. So kind of walk me through that. You mentioned that you know your family did okay. Like, how did you go from you know being in Brooklyn, being an okay household, and then next thing you know, you're like in real estate, right? Like you didn't learn about money growing up. Now you're teaching people how to get into real estate. Walk me through that progression. Absolutely, absolutely. So born and raised in Brooklyn, the son of immigrants. So both of my parents came to this country from Haiti. So my mom came when she was a child and my dad came when he was like in his late twenties. And so, you know, growing up was cool. Like I'm blessed. You know, I had two parents in the household. I have two other sisters and I had a good childhood. You know, we had fun and we had what we needed. So you couldn't complain too much. We didn't go without or anything. So, you know, thank God everything was smooth. I had a pretty good upbringing. However, there was no necessarily talk of finance. It was just save your money. That's like the only thing we heard, which is 
what they knew, what they were able to share, right? You know, our parents, they teach us what they know, right? And they do the best they can. And so, you know, fast forward through college, went to school, studied business and came out. And real estate had always been kind of like a distant thought, but I always thought you need a lot of money. You know, my parents lost their home in the financial crisis back in, I think it was like 06, 05, 06. And I just figured you need a whole lot of money to get into this thing. You know, I live in New York and that's what I thought. So fast forward to 2016 and I had a job opportunity in LA and I had a moment. I had a moment in about 2018. So I was looking at my retirement calculator, you know, those things I can (laughs) project out what you'll have and things like that. So I'm like, wow, based on how I think I would like to live, this account's not going to have enough money by the time I retire. I need to figure out another way to make money. And I was just kind of panicking. And I'm like, all right, I've been thinking about real estate and and I thought this was something that you need to be rich to do. Let me just look into it. So I just like spent the next year just researching everything I could possibly find about real estate, going to local seminars and, you know, different workshops and things like that. And I came across investing out of state. And the reason for that was because I tried to get pre-qualified to get something out here in LA. And based on what I was making, I couldn't afford anything. So I'm like, all right, this out of state thing sounds kind of weird. People actually do this. And so I spent that same year also saving and stacking up as much money as I could. I'm like, all right, if I figure something out, let me at least have some money put to the side. And so, you know, I ended up investing in Dayton, Ohio, my first property in 2019. And yeah, I mean, we could take it any direction from there. But that's basically like how I got started and what sparked me to want to invest in real estate. Wow. So you're in, (laughs) I'm just like, just thinking about the progression So you went from Brooklyn to college to your job opportunity out in LA, and then you decided to invest out of state because I mean, LA just in general is incredibly expensive. California is incredibly expensive. So like, how do you, I'm just thinking about, so I'm in Atlanta now and I'm thinking if I invested in a property in Dayton, Ohio, how uncomfortable I would feel, right? Like you own an expensive property or just like you own something expensive in another state. Like what's like a big misconception about like investing out of state where you're just like, let me like just demystify this as it specifically relates to just being comfortable with owning something, you know, miles and miles away. I'm glad you asked that. So people have this misconception that you need to like growing up. I didn't see anybody who had, properties like that. And those who maybe had a second property, it was probably in the same neighborhood. They had family living there or something like that. So there's a misconception though, that you need to live where you invest and that you need to have a family member where you invest. I remember people saying, do you know anybody? I was like, no. Um, So I think those are two myths. And the reason those are two myths is because it's about having your boots on the ground. And what I mean by having boots on the ground is like having a team, having people there who can look, check things out for you, who can be there when you're not there. That can be a property manager if you choose to have a property manager. I used to have a property manager. I now self-manage, but I have an investor who I know in Dayton who I met online. Like She's a call or text away. I can say, hey, can you drive by, check on things for me, or if there's some work going on, can you double check on that? So it's really about getting things done through other people. So as an out-of-state investor, like you really should be somewhat comfortable getting things done through other people, delegating, and making sure stuff gets done. It is challenging. It could be nerve-wracking because... You know, it's different if the property is like up the street. I can just check on it. But, you know, 
as an out-of-state investor, especially if you're in a state that's far from where you live, you need to get things done through other people. You know, we have pictures, we have FaceTimes, you know, video chat and things like that. So it's a matter of leveraging technology too and just getting things done through other people. Like I visited for the first time in 2020. You know, I just haven't had the time to get back out there since, but I've been able to get a lot of things done through other people and, you know, looking for more deals now and it'll be the same thing. Right. So like, how do you find a good property manager? I'm sure there's some out there that are just not that great. How do you avoid those folks and find the best? Because I'm just thinking about like my level of comfort. If I just own a property somewhere and I'm saying, Hey, person that I don't know, like I need you to go and manage this and not screw it up. So how did you go about searching for them? Yeah. So my first property manager was a disaster and I actually fired them in early 2021 and I've been self-managing since then. Some of the mistakes I made, I would say, you know, one, like it's important to get referrals if you can. I would say look online to see if there are reviews of this particular company. I would even venture to say, go to the Better Business Bureau to see what comments people are making about the particular company. Property managers, they go off of volume, which means like they only get like 10% of the rent. So it's in their best interest to have as many properties under management as possible. The problem with that is not a lot of them are built to give everybody a high level of service. So me as this new dude with one property, do you think they're going to give me the best service or are they going to prioritize the person with 20 plus doors? So I would say even looking at, you know, I would maybe consider if you're just starting out a small time, maybe mom and property manager, just because they probably can be more hands-on. They probably can get back to you quicker and hopefully be more incentivized to do a good job for you. So I would say those are a couple ways to try to find a good property manager, but it's tough. It's tough. You know, you you countless people and that sometimes is a challenge. And I would also say like self-management is not as much work as people think it is. It's something that I was afraid to do. However, you know, a past guest of mine who's become a friend now, Marion Lee, he's like, you can do it. And he managed a portfolio of like dozens of properties from LA in Virginia. And it's just a matter of getting the right tenant, a matter of having the right people in place to help you with everything. But it's absolutely doable if somebody did not want to go the property management route. Absolutely. And thanks for sharing that. That helps to kind of demystify for me as <laughs> about like potentially, you know, because I don't know if I'm going to be in Atlanta forever, but I would definitely like to buy property here. And then, you know, one day I could be in LA, I could be in Texas, wherever. And I've always thought about, okay, like how do I make sure I hire the right person? And I remember a quote from one of my mentors, Jason Lee, who is actually the head of, if you're familiar with the Instagram page, Option Swing. But he is like absolutely killing it. I was talking to him earlier this year and I was just like, hey, like I want to hire a VA, but I feel uncomfortable because I need to make sure I find the right one. And he said a quote that I would never forget. He said, you want to make sure that you hire slow, but you fire fast. And Mm. you want to make sure that you do exactly what you need to do to figure out if they're the right person. You bring them in. And if they're trash, fire them. <laughs> like, so like, of course, like make sure you do everything you need to do to make sure it's not toxic. But you know, if they're not a good fit, you have to fire them and move on. And I feel that way now with like, just bringing like a property manager where you're just like, Hey, like if you're not doing what I need you to do, I have to get rid of you. And then when I move on to a better option, let it be someone else or I'm going to go ahead and self-manage. So that's awesome. Hey, like, I know you also mentioned that not only do you specialize in helping people buy property out of the state, but you also focus in on 
how you can buy properties for not that much money. Because for a lot of new real estate investors, a lot of the reason why they don't jump into it earlier is because they're like, hey, like it's really expensive. I don't have the bread. So like, how are you helping people get into real estate for less than what they might think? Yeah, good question. So, you know, the good part about being a podcast host is that you learn so much, right? Like I'm interviewing for the benefit of the audience, but for the benefit of me too. So a couple of things that people should consider. So there's the FHA loan. So the FHA loan allows you to put as little as 3.5% down on a property. So take wherever you live and do that math, right? And that's lower than what people think. Some people think you need 10%. Some people think you need 20% down. It's not necessarily true, right? So the FHA loan is one thing that I recommend people to look into. And on top of that, I would say, you know, if there are multifamilies in your area and your current situation is such that you could live in a multifamily area, you know, if you have families, you might need more space and things like that. But if you could live in a multifamily, you could use that loan to acquire up to four units, And the income from those units, I mean, obviously you have to do like all the numbers and make sure the numbers work, but the income from those units can help pay your mortgage, or in some cases they can cover the entire mortgage and you can have a little bit of money in your pocket. So that's one way. And, you know, the pushback people give on the FHA loan is that you have private mortgage insurance, which Mm -hmm. increases your payments. But again, it's a numbers game. Real estate is very objective. So with the PMI considered, if, if it's still affordable, if the numbers still work, then it's a good deal. The second thing I would say is a program called NACA. So NACA allows you to come in with 0% down. There are you know, different costs and fees and program requirements and stuff like that. But you know, if you buy in a certain neighborhood, you can participate in the NACA program. And it's a long process to get through the program, but it's a very low cost way. And you know, of course, there's like program, certain program restrictions that you'll have to look into, but you know, there's that opportunity. And then also there are a lot of grants too for home buyers in different cities. So you should look at different grants for homeowners within the city you live in. If you want to invest there, there's a lot of opportunities for down payment assistance grants on the different banks or sometimes nonprofits or city programs. They incentivize people for investing in certain areas. So those are a couple of things people should look into. You can put down 20% if you want, but if you don't have that, and you want to at least explore other ways, those are a couple of different opportunities that you can look into. Awesome. That's one misconception that I hear all the time. You know, anytime that I'm like talking about real estate, you know, people will say, oh, well, if you get FHA, then you have to pay PMI. And, you know, it's to your point. Yeah. But like, it's a numbers game at the end of the day. Like you want to make sure that that amount is less than the alternative. And you kind of choose based off of which one seems to be less over the long term. For the audience and for myself, let's break down some of those acronyms, right? So like you have FHA and then you have NACA, N-A-C-A, I assume. That's one that I didn't hear about before. Break down and maybe even explain like what those acronyms stand for. Yeah. So FHA is Federal Housing Authority and NACA is... I was about to hit you. (laughs) Yeah. I always forget it. It's Neighborhood... I think neighborhood assistance, I always forget it. I'm so used Corporation to of America. America. Yeah, you're right. Yes, neighborhood yes, Assistance yes. Corporation of America. And you said that you have to buy in a very specific neighborhood in order to qualify for NACA. Yeah, I believe there are like certain like restrictions that you know listeners should definitely look into, but it's a very low cost way to get in. And you know, there are certain restrictions. Like some people have said it takes a long time to get through the program and get approved and all that stuff. 
But in the end, you know, if you can get into a property for a lot less than you otherwise would have, it could be something that's worth it and something to look into. And I think they usually have like interest meetings or info sessions and stuff, or you can like talk to like some type of counselor or something. So, you know, there's definitely opportunities depending on your city to get more information about that and see what else they have to offer. Got it. So like, let's say someone wants to learn more about NACA and they want to know like what the opportunities might be in their city. How can they go about finding that? Is that normally on their website or is there another outlet that you can go to to figure out what those are? Good question. Yeah. I would say the website, the website will like have full detail, you know, who to reach out to and things like that. If there's opportunities in your city, things of that nature for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I'm looking through it now. So on NACA's website, am I on the Houston one? But this one that just <laughs> popped up is for Houston. And yeah, there's a lot of different events that you can attend to learn a little bit more. And as Sam mentioned in the beginning, you know, that's how he was able to learn a lot about real estate is going through and not only reading, but also attending these, you know, these sometimes free events. So that's great. You know, as I'm thinking about getting into real estate, so I'm, I'm getting like really selfish here, but like as I'm thinking about getting into real estate and there was other people that are just like, I want to get into real estate and I'm financially prepared to do it. You know, just thinking about the current events, thinking about what the market looks like now, is this the right time to get into real estate or should we wait? In my opinion, I think yes. And the reason I say that is because people are scared of interest rates. What does that mean? That a lot more people are going to sit on the sidelines. As I said before, like real estate is a numbers game. So if you can get a good deal, like number of ways you can invest in real estate, let's say it's a buy and hold investment. You want to buy, you want to rent it out. I think now is a perfect opportunity because prices are starting to stabilize and in some cases decrease a little bit back to normalcy in some markets. I've seen that in Dayton. I've seen like a number of price drops in the market, but with whatever the interest rates are, if you can still make your return, if you can still make the cash flow that you want to make, it's a great time and it's probably going to be less competition. You know, a lot of people got priced out. A lot of people can no longer qualify for the homes that they were under contract for because of the interest rates. I think in June, I read an article saying like 60,000 contracts were canceled or something like that. Some of the reason for it is because people no longer qualify because of the interest rates. So as an investor, I think it's a great time provided that you can find a deal to make your return because my assumption is that there's going to be less competition because your everyday people like your families and or whoever are being priced out because of the interest rates. So I think it's a great time. Some people want to wait for interest rates to go down. It could be a while before they do. Who knows what's going to happen? It's been so much that's been happening over the last couple of years has been unpredictable, but I think it's still a great time. You know, the fundamentals still remain and the, you know, the strategy is the same and you know, I think there's still deals out there. Right. You mentioned a couple of different times during the podcast, hey, it's like, you know, a numbers game. You want to look at the numbers. So you and I are numbers people, right? Like we're very comfortable crunching the numbers, figuring out what numbers metrics make sense. If someone who is listening is like, I'm not a numbers person at all, right? Which is like the vast majority of people. Who could they go to for help? to crunch those numbers for them to say, Hey, like it might be a better opportunity to do X over Y. Yeah, definitely. So I would say try to meet with a lender, try to meet with the lender, whether that's going to like a bank or like a, you know, person, independent lender at a brokerage or something like that. I would say sit with the lender. And I think before sitting with the lender, you want to figure out, okay, am I trying to buy a home for just me to live in or my family to live in? Am I trying to buy an investment property? 
I think those are two very important distinctions because that's going to likely impact you know, what type of interest rate you're looking at, which will impact the numbers. So I would say you with the lender, let them know like, you know, what it is you're trying to do and they can run some scenarios for you. There's also like calculators online that you can use, like, you know, mortgage calculators and things of that nature, app on my phone that, that I use sometimes. But I would say that, I would say that. But the first thing is decide like, what is it that you're trying to do? And if you are trying to buy like a home for you to live in and or your family, it's possible that, it's not the right time or the right location. Now, if you're an investor, you have some more options. Got it. No, that's really helpful. And guys, I'll make sure I add that calculator in the show notes. So let's connect offline, Sam, and figure out what that specific app is. Now I'll link in the show notes so people can download it. This has been really, really helpful. Sam, I know you focus a lot on you know, helping people get into the market and then also find out-of-state deals. If someone's like, hey, like I really want to get started. I want to learn more. And I specifically want to learn from Sam. Like how can they find you online? Do you offer any resources that could help them out? Yeah. You have a number of resources. So I actually have an out-of-state investing course. You know, Mm. there was a period of time where people just asking me a lot of questions and I'm like, I don't think I'm helping that much by just like replying really quickly. So I pretty much just everything I learned, everything I experienced in the first deal, I just put into a course. So I have that course I have other courses too, you know, how to find your first tenant. I have a master class on building a real estate team. I have a bread investing community. So we have investors teach twice a month on various topics, very affordable rate. So I have that too. And then I have the podcast. So podcasts, I think this week was episode 130, I think. Wow. Um, so I have the podcast Congrats, too. Man. Um, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. So a whole lot of opportunities and resources. And you can find them on my Instagram, Black Real Estate Dialogue, or go to blackrealestatedialogue.com and you'll see everything. Perfect. And what we'll do is we'll make sure those resources and his Instagram is in show notes. So as you guys know, and as you guys have heard, Sam is a wealth of knowledge when it relates to real estate and just investing in general. So make sure you hit him up, especially if you're looking to get into the market. And if you want to get into the market in another state, He's your guy. With that, guys, we are out. Thank you, Sam, for coming on. And I will talk to you guys on the next episode. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to the Bear Wallet Podcast. If you learned something new during today's episode, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. We would also love a rating and review as well. In closing, remember the goal is to live a better life through taking control of your money. We want our money to work hard for us so we can live the life that we've always imagined. I'll see you on the next episode.